three points just to get us started. I kind of want to set the table uh, for what we're going to talk about this morning. First, uh, I thought about marriage. I'm at a point in my life where I'm making lists of things I need to talk to my wife about. Do you guys do this? Anybody else do this? Uh, it's crazy. So many things are happening. Several things are changing. So much of what's going on seems really complicated to me. Uh, I need to discuss it with my wife. We need to decide how we're going to do these things and what, what decision we're going to come to and how to navigate these. So what we're doing is we're having these power meetings. We're keeping these lists that will sometimes build up over two or three weeks, and then we have these power meetings where we try to like, navigate uh, the variety of things that are in front of us. The issues feel significant to me these days. Uh, they feel emotional to me these days. The consequences of a misstep seem big and costly to me. And during one of these recent conversations with Carmen, my wife, I discovered something about her that I never knew before. It was fascinating. I mean, I knew, I knew on one level, kind of on a, on a shallow, sort of basic level. But through this conversation, I realized something with much greater depth about my, my wife, which is kind of crazy because we've been married for 23 and a half years We've spent a lot of time together. We've been through some things. We know each other really well, um, but we're still learning about each other. <clears throat> and one of the reasons that we're still learning more and more about each other is because we're changing. We're growing. It's not, things are not exactly the same as they were. We're not the same as we were in 1991 when we met. Another reason that we're still learning more about each other is because our life is changing. It's way more complex than it was in 1991. It's way more going on, way more responsibilities, much deeper consequences to our actions. And that, as many of you know, that's marriage. And there's a few other things you can describe in this way as well. But, but that's marriage. Marriage is the growing, ongoing, ever-deepening discovery of the one. It's the growing, ongoing, ever-deepening discovery of the one. But I only set marriage on the table this morning as a metaphor, okay? It's just a metaphor. Here's another thing I want to set on the table just to kind of get us ready for the meal. Pentecost. A few weeks ago, we celebrated the birth of the church. Pentecost is this ancient Jewish feast, which is best known today because the followers of Jesus were gathered to celebrate Pentecost when the Holy Spirit filled the room and filled them. And as a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit, the disciples and many others discovered Jesus. And they discovered Jesus in new ways. The discovery of Jesus was for many in Acts chapter 2 a, a new discovery. It was like an initial introduction to Jesus. And, and for many others, uh, it, was an on, it was like a deepening. It was like they knew something about Jesus, but now they, some, they discovered something more. So Pentecost was a growing, ongoing, ever-deepening discovery of Jesus and what it means to follow him. In other words, the story of the early church and the journey of faith in Jesus is the story of ongoing discovery. It's not a once and done kind of thing. It's not an I've arrived kind of thing. It is an ongoing discovery. It's not a discovery of things that are altogether new and different. It is the growing, ongoing, ever-deepening discovery of the one. So we've got marriage on the table as a metaphor. We've got Pentecost on the table as an event and as an ongoing discovery. And then a final piece I put on the table just to set the stage this morning is Emmaus, this church community. We started this church in 2005, and since then, our core purposes have included sharing life and discovering Jesus. Sharing life, 
By that, we mean a deep commitment to community, which we talked about last Sunday, and discovering Jesus, by which we've always meant the initial discovery of Jesus as well as the ongoing, growing, ever-deepening discovery of Jesus. So since we started in 2005, this has kind of been our mantra, sharing life and discovering Jesus, sharing life and discovering Jesus. Quick story, we moved here 4th of July 2004 to plant this church and the organization that we were planting with, the Church of the Nazarene, they set me up with a church planting coach. Yes, there are church planting coaches. And he made me go door to door in Lincoln and survey the town and I hated it. It was awful. It was like, hi, my name's Nathan. I'm here to make an awkward first impression. I mean, it was just terrible. Um, But I actually learned a couple of things through it, um, which is interesting. Uh, One thing that I learned is that there are very few people that I talk to that identify themselves as Christian, um, which I was surprised about. And yet, no one I talked to, literally, no one, I talked to a lot of people, said that they had no relationship with God or no interest in spirituality. So everyone claimed to be somewhere along the line of some kind of spiritual discovery. Everyone that I talked to had heard of Jesus But almost everyone I talked to, I would say, was at a very early or immature stage of discovery of who Jesus was. And this really resonated with me. In fact, we had all, and by we, I mean me, I had already named the church Emmaus because for months I'd been captivated by this story at the end of Luke's gospel about these people who met Jesus, even committed to following Jesus, but then when following Jesus didn't work the way they thought it would and wanted it to, they left. They bailed out. They, they, they exited the Christian community. But Jesus joined them in the journey, and through that experience, they discovered him more fully, more accurately. They understood more deeply who he, who he was and who he is. So this dynamic of ongoing discovery, as opposed to this once-and-done, I've-arrived model of Christianity, it fascinated me, fascinated me. So we dreamed about becoming a beloved community, um, and we chose this name, which even though nobody can spell it and few people can pronounce it right, uh, it would at least remind many of us about the purpose of this organization, the purpose of this community, to be a, a community of ongoing discovery of Jesus. And what you find in the Bible is that this growing, ongoing, ever deepening discovery of Jesus, it continues to happen. Not just in the Emmaus Road story at the end of Luke 4, but all through Acts and, frankly, all through the rest of the New Testament. So, now we've set the table, let's serve the Word. I want to show you several examples of this ongoing discovery of Jesus right here in Scripture. A few examples from the book of Acts. Um, I'll try to provide enough detail that this isn't super weird in case you haven't heard of these stories, but don't dive too deep into these stories because I'm going to give you like six The first, Acts chapter 1, the story of the ascension. This is at the end of the earthly ministry of Jesus. So he's died, he's resurrected, he's hung out with his followers for several weeks, and then he's about to ascend into heaven, and his disciples ask him this, Acts 1, 6, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Which is really interesting because it's after the resurrection, this is very late in the game, but the disciples are still expecting Jesus to overthrow Rome and set up a traditional political kingdom. Like there's, that's still their narrow view of what they expect of Jesus. That is their understanding of Jesus and his purpose. In fact, those are the last words they say to Jesus. 
Jesus responds by saying, essentially, it's not for you to know the timing, just wait for the Holy Spirit. Okay, just wait for the Holy Spirit. And then he ascends into heaven. And the followers of Jesus then have to discover what it looks like to follow Jesus when Jesus isn't there anymore. This is entirely new. They've never been in this space before. How do I follow Jesus now that Jesus is no longer here? So they know Jesus, but my point is there's so much more of Jesus for them to discover. Here's another example, Acts chapter 2. It's Pentecost. Holy Spirit fills the disciples. Peter preaches his first sermon. 3,000 Jews discover Jesus as the long-expected Messiah. Verse 36 of Acts 2, Peter says, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ, or Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other disciples, Brothers, what shall we do? So here's my point. These 3,000 Jews had likely heard of Jesus, but now they discover in Jesus something so much more than they ever thought. He's the Messiah. They, they didn't have a category for this yet, at least in relation to Jesus. A third example, Acts chapter 9. There's this man named Saul, and this is the story of his conversion. He's a super educated Jewish purist. He hated the follower of Jesus because he believed them to be a cult and like a cancer to the Jewish faith. And we read in Acts 8, 3 that Saul began to destroy the church. He was going from house to house, arresting men and women and putting them in prison. In Acts 9, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He'd already overseen the killing of at least one of them. But then later in chapter 9, Saul is on this journey to continue this persecution of the Christians in another town. And he encounters on the road the resurrected and glorified Jesus. And it radically changes Saul's life. Saul's name is changed to Paul. He becomes the major figure in Christianity becomes instantly convinced that his enemy is actually the Messiah, and, and then his Messiah becomes his Lord and his personal Savior, right? And he becomes a total advocate and evangelist for Jesus. What's my point? Paul knew about Jesus. You could say he was consumed with Jesus, but, but then he discovers Jesus more fully, and he's completely changed, couple more examples. Acts chapter 10, there's a story about Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, who discovers that Jesus is also for the Gentiles. This is strange for us to realize, but until now, there's no Christians that are not Jewish. And in fact, the disciples of Jesus didn't really get the picture that this message of Christ saving the world was actually for the whole world. They thought it was just for the Jews. And so through a series of events, Peter is convinced to accept a, Gentile, a Roman centurion's uh, invitation to dinner, to come to his house and share with him the gospel, which he does. It's validated by the coming of the Holy Spirit on this man in his house. This is mind-blowing for Peter, and it's disturbing for the apostles. So they call Peter back to the meeting, and they say, what in the world? Why'd you go into a house of a Gentile? Peter explains to them what happened, gives them the evidence, and they respond at the end of uh, chapter 11 by saying, praise God. So then God has granted even to the Gentiles repentance unto life. What's my point? I'm trying to say that Peter knew Jesus. He was fully, at this point, he is fully devoted to Jesus. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. But then God reveals even more to him. 
about who Jesus is and who Jesus is for and what Jesus' mission is. And this kind of thing just keeps happening over and over and over again, friends, throughout, throughout Acts, this ongoing discovery of, of Jesus. It's kind of like if you add on a room to your house and maybe, you know, you're, or maybe you've moved and you were in a, like a 1,200 square foot house, but now you've moved to like a 2,000 square foot house, and there's all this room. You've never lived in it before. You don't even have stuff to put in the cabinets. It's like, it's just so big. I don't even know, I don't even know how to conceive of life in this bigger space because I've become so used to life in this smaller space. For instance, there are several examples in Acts where whole communities of people have embraced Jesus as the Messiah and as their Lord, but they have never heard of the Holy Spirit. And so Peter and John will go into these communities, they'll teach them about the Holy Spirit, they'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, and they, they come to know the gospel more fully. So they know some, they've discovered some about Jesus, but there's so much more to be discovered about Jesus. It's like a whole new room gets added to their house. Another example, there's Paul who's continually healing people. The man has remarkable gifting to heal people in the name of Jesus. In fact, sometimes he'll take his, his handkerchief and hand it to somebody, and they'll take it to a town, and people will be healed when they touch. I mean, it's, cra- it's remarkable stuff. But Paul has an ailment, and he is, it is revealed to Paul that he'll have to live his whole life with this ailment. How crazy would that be? You're healing Everybody who touches your Kleenex gets healed, but you get to live with what he calls a thorn in his flesh. Have you ever had a thorn in your flesh? I mean, it's kind of hard to not think about it and be kind of, but he gets, so he knows Jesus. He's living in devotion to Jesus by this point in his life. But now he gets to learn what it looks like to serve and live with Jesus in this new context of pain. Never been there before. Never had to learn how to follow Jesus in that. God tells him, he reveals to him that in Paul's weakness, God will show his strength. More, a couple more examples. Paul discovers Jesus in a deeper way when his own people, the Jews, desert him. How do you follow Jesus when your closest friends desert you? Paul discovers Jesus in another way when those traveling with him abandon him. Paul discovers Jesus in a deeper way at the end of his life, which he spends in jail. The last several years of his life, he's in a jail in Rome. What I'm trying to show you, friends, is story after story about growing, ongoing, ever-deepening discovery of Jesus. This is the pattern. This is the pattern. This is the way relationship with Jesus goes. It is the always growing, ongoing, ever-deepening discovery of the one. Or it's not. Or it's not. Because somewhere along the way, the ongoing discovery of the one gets interrupted, gets arrested. Somewhere along the, 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 life, uh, the, along the story of our life, our house gets bigger, but our relationship with Jesus gets stuck. So here's the practical problem. Many of us, much of the time, we experience frustration in our faith. It's this very real sense of difficulty with our spirituality, Some put it like this, it's just not working. Anybody with me on this? Sometimes you say it like this, it's just not working anymore. As though it used to work, this used to connect, it used to make sense, it used to be helpful, but now I'm at a place where it just doesn't feel like it's working for me anymore. 
The reality that is often at the root of this kind of spiritual frustration is the sense that God or our faith or religion isn't working for me. It's that, and, and what's, what, what's at the root of that is this, your life has gotten bigger and it's gotten way more complex. There are bigger responsibilities and there are greater ramifications that are resting on your shoulders. Your life, in other words, is not a one-bedroom apartment anymore. It's like a two-story house. And there's all these new things. It's big. Your life has grown bigger. Friends, here's the problem. Your experience with Jesus has remained the same. And you're feeling frustrated because your 900-square-foot experience of Jesus is not enough to fill your 2,500-square-foot life. The Jesus you discovered at seven years old is not going to be enough for you at 27, and it's certainly not going to be enough for you at 57. So many of us get frustrated with God as we grow and as we age. We get frustrated because in light of the growing challenges and complexities of life, God seems less and less and less adequate. The problem is not with God. The problem is with our experience of God. In view of real life, it may feel like God's not big enough, Jesus is too simplistic, faith is maybe even a little bit childish, but really what has happened is this. Your discovery of Jesus has not kept pace with your discovery of life, has it? Your discovery of Jesus has not kept pace with your discovery of the world. And so now you're trying to navigate big life issues with a very limited view of God. Of course you're frustrated. Of course you're frustrated. It's kind of like trying to parent teenagers with the wisdom and skill set of a brand new dad. I remember being a brand new dad. I was definitely had discovered fatherhood. It was legitimate, two-week-old fatherhood, right? But it was absolutely critical, and it continues to be, for my understanding and experience of fatherhood to mature. And that's really what we're talking about right now. It's critical for my understanding and experience of fatherhood to mature, to keep pace with the realities of life as a dad. I needed and still need a growing, ongoing, ever-deepening discovery of fatherhood in order to navigate the always expanding and growing challenges of being a dad. Similarly, my relationship with Jesus, it must be one of ongoing discovery. It absolutely must be one of ongoing discovery because Jesus is not finite. Jesus is infinite. He is not limited. There's no ceiling here. It's my experience of Jesus that is limited, and therefore, it must always grow. It must always grow to keep pace with the always expanding reality of my life. So my experience of Jesus at 23, frankly, was awesome, but it, it will feel inadequate in the face of my 46-year-old issues. It will. When I start feeling like this Christianity thing just isn't working for me anymore, the tendency can be towards despair and fear and frustration. But you know what? It, that's, actually, that's actually just a sign that my life is growing. There's new rooms in my house. There's new challenges that I'm facing, right? There's new dynamics. 
I've never been here before. I don't know how to do what's next. I've never done it before. Some additional rooms have been added onto my house. I've never lived in them before. So maybe, and maybe it's a change. Like maybe what used to be our garage is now a bedroom for our in-laws. I mean, that's never been that way before. It was this way, and now it's changed. I don't need a different God. (laughs) I need a growing experience of God. That's what I need. I need a fuller discovery of God. I need to discover Jesus more fully in that new space. In that different space, and I realize this maybe sounds a little complicated, so let's look at this concept through the lens of a kid's book, of a kid's book. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a variety of kid's books. There was a series called The Chronicles of Narnia. This is uh, an English writer, middle of the 20th century, and he wrote these books called The The Chronicles of Narnia, which is about this kind of other world. It's all about the kingdom of God and Jesus, but it's put in the context of talking animals and stuff. It's for children. And in one of the books, it's called Prince Caspian. One of the main characters is this little um, pure-hearted girl named Lucy, and uh, she returns to Narnia. She'd been there before, but then she went back to her home in England, and now she's back in Narnia. And she sees for the first time again in a long time, she sees for the first time in a long time this Christ figure in the Narnia stories, which is this big lion named Aslan. And when she sees Aslan, she exclaims, Aslan, you're bigger. And Aslan responds, I am not but every year you grow, you will find me bigger. It's powerful. Lewis's point is that as we grow, we will see Jesus more fully, more as he actually is. The normal Christian experience is a growing, ongoing, ever-deepening discovery of Jesus. Jesus doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But our view of him can change in the sense that it can grow and mature. We can find him bigger. By the way, in the Prince Caspian movie that came out a few years ago, they changed this line, which is really unfortunate. Lucy says to Aslan, Aslan, you've grown. And Aslan says to her, every year you grow, so shall I is not what Lewis wrote, and it's really bad theology, right? Because God doesn't grow. God doesn't grow. No, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is, always was, and ever shall be. It's we who grow, right? We, as we grow, we will find him bigger. Jesus actually speaks of this very thing. Let me wrap up with this. It's the night that he was betrayed and arrested and killed, It's the end. And he says this to his disciples in John 16. I have much more to say to you. More than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. What's going on here? Jesus' disciples, they need a, a growing 
ongoing, ever-deepening discovery of Jesus. That's what they need. Life is going to get bigger real quick. Life's going to get more complex for them like tonight. Their relationship with Jesus is going to have to grow. It's going to have to mature or get stuck and arrested. But this is Jesus essentially saying to them, I have much more to reveal to you, but right now you can't handle the truth right? So that's okay though. That's okay because the Holy Spirit is coming, the Spirit of truth. I will send him to you and he will guide you into all truth. So wait for the Holy Spirit and be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not a bonus. You absolutely need the Spirit of truth to guide you into truth, right? So friends, this series of sermons is is about the question, what difference does Pentecost make How does being filled with the Holy Spirit change the life of the disciples? And last week we talked about community. We talked about sharing life. We looked at the phrase, there were no needy among them. And today what we're talking about is another answer to that question, what difference did being filled with the Holy Spirit make? Today what we're talking about is transformation. That's what we're talking about. It's this beautiful reality that you don't have to live with static spirituality. You don't have to live with static spirituality. Your relationship with Jesus is a living thing. You were not meant to navigate through the challenges of your real and always changing life with a rigid, static, unchanging spirituality. The the truth is that spirituality that doesn't grow doesn't work. Spirituality that doesn't grow, it doesn't work. And some of you are feeling that right now. Your life has gotten bigger. It's gotten more complex. It's more difficult in some ways. There are new realities. They are like new rooms you've never lived in. New space you're unfamiliar with. The good news, friends, is that your experience of Jesus can grow to fill these new rooms, these new open spaces as life unfolds in all of its chaos and complexity and beauty. There are new rooms that are opening up in all of our lives all of the time, always. Can you name one? Can you write one down for you? A new reality, a new scenario, a new challenge. What's your new situation? What's the new space that you've never been here before? Maybe it's life with a new baby. Never been here before. Maybe it's life with a fifth baby. Never been here before, right? Never been in this room before. Maybe it's, maybe it's the new challenge. Maybe the new challenge is life with teenagers. Maybe the new reality is your children are growing up and they're leaving home. Maybe the new challenge is a new career. Just never, I've never lived this life before. Maybe it's a new place to live. Maybe it's retirement, right? Easy. Maybe it's life without your spouse. I hope you'll write something down so that this can be as personal and practical as possible. What is one of the new rooms in your life? What is the new change? What is the different situation? It's like you used to live in a 1,200-square-foot house, You liked that house. You knew how to live there. You knew how to experience God in that house. 
but you don't live in a 1,200-square-foot house anymore. Now you live in a 2,000-square-foot house, and there are new rooms in this house. There are spaces you've never lived in before. Friends, here's the truth. God is already in those rooms, okay? God already is filling that space, okay? God doesn't need to grow. He's already there. He's already filling that time, that space, that reality. The challenge is, will you discover him there? Will you discover him there? And in the process of discovering him in this new place, will you grow? And will your spirituality mature? And will you develop to see Jesus, not totally different, but in greater depth? Will you discover Jesus in this new challenge, in this new season, in this different than it used to be changing part of your life? When you do discover him there, it will seem like God has grown. But it will not be God who has grown. It will be you. You will have grown. You will have matured. You will have discovered more of God. And you will find him bigger. Amen? God, in light of the challenges before us, we absolutely need you to guide us into all truth. We need your spirit to fill us with courage and insight and wisdom. We don't, we don't want to stay huddled in the corner of our childhood bedroom because that's where it's safe and that's where we're comfortable and, and we're familiar with you there. We want to walk in boldness and obedience into the fullness of life you've given us that continues to expand and grow at a rate that for some of us is actually pretty rapid. May our experience with you, our Lord Jesus, keep pace with this rapidly changing life ahead of us. We need you to be with us, in us, before us, showing the way. God bless these, my friends, this church. May we be growing, constantly transforming, discovering Jesus together. Amen.